great to see everybody here and uh, um, just appreciate that you're here. And uh, I, I always say to people when they say, I, you know, I hope things are going well with your sermon prep and everything. And I say, well, you know what makes me feel really good is that even if I don't do a good job, people will love me anyway, because I know all of you and you're so supportive and encouraged, encouraging. So um, I pray that, that there will be something in this message for you this morning, um, but I know that you'll love me regardless, so that's uh, very much appreciated. Um, our sermon text today is found in three of the four Gospels, so it's found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, it's the story of Jesus healing a man of paralysis. And we're going to read the story from Luke, chapter 5, uh, 17 to 26 on our slides. Um, you can ignore the lines. I'll be saying it, and so you can uh, follow along. One day Jesus was teaching, and Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them. He took what he'd been lying on and went home, praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. In our current sermon series, we're looking at who this man Jesus is. So we need to consider what we learn about Jesus from our passage today, from his interaction with the main players in this story, not just the man with paralysis, but also the man's friends, the Pharisees, and the teachers of the law. But I also want to talk about what we learn from Jesus within this passage, particularly related to those with disabilities or diverse abilities, which really is a, a better term in recognition of the different abilities that each one of us has rather than any implications of someone being less than. So what do we learn about Jesus in today's story? Well, we certainly learn that Jesus is God. And where's the evidence in our passage? First of all, Jesus states that he forgives the man's sins, and then he also restores his mobility. Jesus' forgiveness of sin was acclaimed a deity which the Pharisees and teachers of the law considered to be blasphemous. We read that in the passage. I found it interesting, I read that in Jewish theology, even the Messiah could not forgive sins. 
When Jesus asks, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? Jesus' point was probably that neither forgiving sins nor healing was easier. As a matter of fact, both are equally impossible for men, but they're equally possible for God. So Jesus was claiming and then further proving by healing the man that he was God. I found it interesting, too, that Jesus just says the words and the physical healing happens immediately. And it made me think of God in creation. Remember in Genesis 1, verse 3, it says, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. So each day of creation, God said the words, and it was done. It came into being. John 1, if you remember, tells us that God and Jesus were both active in creation. And so I thought, well, in healing this man, Jesus was able to use that same creation power because he is God. Secondly, about Jesus being God, he looks at the heart and he knew the thoughts of those that were in the crowd. Jesus knew the heart of the man with paralysis, but he also knew the hearts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. In 1 Samuel 16, 7, it says, The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Remember, that's when they were choosing David as king. Proverbs 21, 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So Jesus as God, well, Jesus as man, first of all, I would say, was looking at the outward appearance, but as God, he was looking at the hearts of those in front of him. So I want to consider first the heart of the man with paralysis, and then we'll look at the heart of the Pharisees and the teachers. We don't know the cause of this man's paralysis. The Bible doesn't tell us that. Uh, we only know that he couldn't walk. I'm an occupational therapist and I don't work clinically now, I work at the university. But when I did work clinically, I worked in a rehab setting and so worked with people with many different um, diagnoses and many different disabilities. With my medical rehab background, if I encountered someone today that couldn't walk, I would actually, in my mind, think of many different reasons why that could be. I would think there was maybe a trauma or accident, like a spinal cord injury or some sort of neck injury, that there was a stroke, or maybe that was nerve diseases such as MS or ALS. Maybe it's cancer, there's a tumor. I would think of all sorts of different things. Back then, in ancient times, in the times of the Old Testament, and still considering into the New Testament, uh, was the, that illness or disability was actually the cause, the cause of it was sin. So while I would think of these multitude of different reasons why this could have happened, they would have been thinking it's because he sinned. Do you remember Job's friends? I'm actually reading through Job in the Bible now, and it, I get so annoyed with his friends. I don't know how, <laughs> how Job uh, tolerated it. But basically their message was, would you just confess your sins, and then you'd be okay. You'd get better, and everything would be good again. So people with disabilities or illness weren't allowed e even in the temple area because it was felt that they had sin in their lives. 
And those with disabilities were then judged and excluded from full participation in worship and teaching. And actually, in my reading this morning, um, Job was responding uh, to some of the friends' accusations. And he pointed out that before he used to be very honored. People would come to him asking for advice. People would be really respectful of him. And ever since he had his, his illness and his boils and all these things happening to him, people actually scorned him and ridiculed him. So that's the sort of attitude that was, that, that was prevalent then. But Jesus in our story today is cognizant of the man's physical and his spiritual well-being. Remember, he's God and man. Jesus knew the man's heart, and he determined that he needed forgiveness of sins actually more than that physical healing. Our soul is more important than our bodies that house the essence of who we really are, our eternal beings. In addressing the man's spiritual needs, I think that Jesus wanted to communicate a couple of things to him and to those in the crowd. I noted that the man was not instantaneously healed when Jesus said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And I think what that did is it separated the forgiveness of sins and the physical healing and so challenged the crowd's assumption about sin being the main problem in this man's life, causing his disability. I think the other thing that Jesus wanted to communicate was whether you walk or not, we're, we have all sinned. And by, Je forgiving, by Jesus forgiving this man's sins, before them, it reminds the crowd that we have much more in common with anyone with disabilities than we, than we have in terms of differences. We all need forgiveness of sins. We all need to be released from guilt and be recipients of God's freedom and his love. I found it interesting. I looked in all three gospel accounts of this story and realized that we don't read that the friends or the man who was paralyzed specifically came to Jesus for healing or asked for healing. Were you like me and you just assumed that the friends and the man were requesting physical healing rather than just finding a way for the man to spend time with Jesus, to listen to his teaching and asking questions? If you were like me, we made an assumption based on the man's disability. That assumption, at its worst, is ableism. If you aren't familiar with the term ableism, here's a definition. Ableism is rooted in the assumption that people with disabilities require fixing and defines people by their disability. Like racism and sexism, ableism, classifies entire groups of people as less than and includes harmful stereotypes, misconceptions, and generalizations of people with disabilities. So society then and society now, unfortunately, is prone to ableism. But Jesus saw the individual man. He looked at the heart and he addressed his primary need, which was not in physical healing. It was in his spiritual health. And when I looked at, so then I looked at what was Jesus teaching around the time of this healing? And um, when I looked at it, I thought, well, there's certainly a reason for this man, not just to go to Jesus to be healed, but to actually want to see and interact with Jesus face to face. 
And let me read you, of course, in the message version, James said to me, it wouldn't be Donna's message if there wasn't something, some scripture in the message version. Um, but here's a couple of verses uh, from the um, Sermon on the Mount uh, that are interesting and would be very relevant to our man today. It says, you're blessed when you're content with just who you are, no more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that can't be bought. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. Imagine how these words would impact the man with paraplegia. These are words that are relevant to him. Words of hope and promise. And if I was him, I would definitely want to get myself to Jesus and hear more from him and ask him some more questions about that. And he couldn't get in that room. So his friends, wonderful friends that they were, better friends than Job, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Man, I never thought of that. But yeah, way better friends. And so they made sure he could get to Jesus. Don't assume just for physical healing. This man maybe wanted to talk to Jesus further about the things that he'd said. The passage also tells us that Jesus knew the thoughts of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. And so he knew that their hearts contained doubts and criticism and skepticism. The man with paralysis was actually at a better place spiritually than these Pharisees and teachers, these learned men. Jesus didn't say to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at this point that their sins were forgiven. But actually, when we look at it, Jesus wanted everyone in the crowd, including the Pharisees and the teachers, to understand that he was God's son. And so Jesus told the Pharisees and teachers their thoughts as evidence that he was God. And as we know, Jesus also healed the man physically as further evidence. Jesus being God demonstrated his compassion, not just for the man who had paralysis, not just for all those in the crowd, but also for those Pharisees and teachers of the law. He wanted to advance their understanding. He wanted to advance their faith of everyone. And so I'm going to read again verses 10 to 12. Jesus says, I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in few, full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. So everyone implies that even the Pharisees and the teachers of the law learned something that day and praised God after seeing Jesus heal the man and forgive his sins. And they just had a better understanding of who Jesus is. So this leads me into what do we learn from Jesus in this interaction with the man with paralysis. I do believe that Jesus then and now does not see disability as a less than state of being. As we're reminded in today's story, disability can actually be a bridge to God. The man with paralysis came to Jesus and received forgiveness of, of sins. His disability led him to Jesus and not only led him, but led others 
to believe and put more faith in Jesus as God's son. But you might say, isn't the fact that Jesus healed a lot of people with disability evidence that he had an ableist attitude? Maybe you wouldn't ask that question, but I certainly did. Um, why did he think like these people needed to be fixed then? And so to answer that question, I looked a little bit more closely at the miracles of uh, healing in the Bible, in the Gospels. There are actually 37 miracles that are listed in the Gospels. 21 of them were physical healings, but not all of those were people with disabilities. Some were healings from an illness or sickness or infection or an amputation. Do you remember when um, Peter cut off the servant's ear uh, when, he was, when Jesus was being arrested and Jesus healed that? Disabilities that were healed, because there were some that I would consider to be disabilities, were seizure disorders, mental illness, hearing, or visual disturbances. And as per our story today, there was about three healings of people who had mobility issues. And I would say that some of those healings were for life-threatening conditions and some were not. But we need to remember at this point in history, all the conditions were life-limiting as far as social interactions inclusion, worship, remember they weren't even allowed in the temple area, and the ability to earn a living. And if you think today, back then there were no wheelchairs, no glasses, no hearing aids, no cataract surgery, no prescription drugs or surgical procedures as we have now in Canada. So the context was very different than our context today. Some of the people that Jesus healed were born with a disability, but some would have acquired the disability later in life due to aging, illness, or accident. And this might have also been a factor in terms of who Jesus healed and who he didn't. But what we always need to remember is that the main purpose of Jesus' healing miracles was not the restoration of the body to a normal or typical state, but to increase one's understanding of God. In some of the work that I did in preparation for this, in the Bible dictionary I was looking at, I found this interesting quote, and it says, the working of miracles is directed to a deepening of men's understanding of God. It is God's way of speaking dramatically. The miracle stories are intimately concerned with the faith of observers or participants and with the faith of those who will hear and read them later. That's you and me. Scriptural evidence for this is, um, here's a couple of verses, John 2, 11, that says, this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. And if you remember, that's turning the water into wine. So not one of these physical healings. But it says, he thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So he performed that first miracle to convince his, well, to prove to his disciples that he was God. John 20, 30 and 31 says, Jesus performed many, many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, 
the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. An important point is also that Jesus dealt with each person individually as they came to him. And we talked about the fact Jesus knew their hearts, their context, and was more concerned about their spiritual beings than their physical bodies. He did what was best for them from an eternal perspective. And, you know, to be honest, this is really important for all of us to remember, because if we live long enough, we will all experience disability. We'll have problems with mobility, thought processes, vision, hearing. We need to remember that this life is a journey of learning and growth in preparation for our eternal life with God, where we'll have a new body. As I get more arthritis in my fingers and problems with my eyesight, I take encouragement from all of that. I titled this message, Friend, Your Sins Are Forgiven. So let's consider that for a minute. Jesus calls the man with paralysis friends, although it's very unlikely that Jesus would have known him previously. By calling him friend, Jesus meets the man's need for recognition, for being part of community, for friendship. And as we've heard previously in this series, Jesus always wanted to restore people to community. We all need to feel loved and needed to have friends. We desire to be an inclusive church at Wellspring. And when we think of inclusivity, we shouldn't only be thinking of ethnic, ethnic background, race, age, gender, sexual orientation, we must also consider and welcome those with diverse abilities and provide opportunity for them to worship with us, learn, and use their God-given gifts and abilities, and Wellspring will be richer for it. Just a reminder that when we speak um, of those with diverse ability, we tend to think of those with physical disabilities. We also tend to think of those disabilities that are evident to us visually. But disabilities can also be invisible. There can be hearing deficits, intellectual or developmental delays, or mental health disabilities. I wanted to show you, uh, I don't know whether we can have the next slide number four, Jeff, or if we, oh, we can. Okay, it's a little bit fuzzy. But on this slide is the World Health Organization's model of international classification of functioning disability and health. And I wanted to show uh, it to you as it really effectively um, illustrates the impact of barriers and facilitators for people with disability in our society. It really represents a social rather than a medical model of health and disability. And you can see how the diagnosis that a person has, it's at the top, it affects their body functions and structures, their activities and their participation. Um, but you can also see at the bottom what else affects that, environmental factors and personal factors. And when we're talking about environmental factors, that's, that's what we need to pay attention to. They can be barriers or facilitators for a person to participate in activities, and in society. If we go to the next slide, Jeff, 
this next slide shows the difference that can be made, and you can't see it very well, um, between facilitators and barriers for someone who has a spinal cord injury. I'm gonna look at my cheat sheets here and see if it's any better. Did I mention my eyesight isn't great? I have size 14 font on this, okay? Anyway, um, if you look at the um, model on the left, I wanna just point out that um, if you look to the participation where I have the arrow, you'll see public transportation, building design, and this particular gentleman who they're saying is male, 30 years old, is experiencing barriers in that area. So if you look at the participation part, you see restricted participation in employment and in using public transport. But if we look at the model on the right, we see the same thing. This is a, a similar situation with problems in muscle power functions and structure of spinal cord and difficulty moving and walking. But for this particular gentleman, the education system, the products and technology, building design, and his immediate family are facil facilitators to his participation. And what is he participating in? Employment, sport, and leisure. There are no problems there. We need to be ones that facilitate participation. We need to, um, so even at Wellspring here, we need to remove barriers and we need to provide facilitators for everyone with diverse abilities to participate in Wellspring. So barriers and facilitators can be physical, such as stairs versus a ramp or elevator. Uh, those elevators and ramps are facilitators and would help someone come to worship us, to worship with us here. And we basically, from my understanding, I, Kevin could correct me, but I believe we comply with the AODA, the legislation in Ontario that gives a thun, thumbs up, that removes many of these physical barriers. And I'm sure there's still other things we can do, and maybe we have to consult with others, but we're, we comply with that. But barriers and facilitators can also be attitudinal. So an example of an attitudinal barrier is that anyone without typical abilities is abnormal or less than. It's that ableist attitude. An attitudinal facilitator would be the recognition that we were all made in God's image and we're all equal in his sight. Another attitudinal facilitator is the desire to fellowship with those of all levels of physical, cognitive, and mental abilities, recognizing the important contributions to our body here at Wellspring from each person. I show this next slide as an illustration of how those of us in Sunday school might need to remove barriers and ensure facilitators for children with neurodevelopmental disorders to participate in our Sunday school. Um, I noticed that Brittany, oh, Brittany's, Brittany's here. Brittany uh, is an OT as well and works with children with disabilities, so I'm sure she's very familiar with this. But if you look here, you can see we're talking about people um, who have cerebral palsy, autism spectrum disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. And if you look, I'm not gonna read all those things, but you look at the things, uh, how that will affect body function and structures for these children and adults. Look at the activities they wanna communicate, want to participate in, and the things that they should be participating in. 
and then look at the participation. And instead of that third bullet down says attending school, let's think about attending Sunday school at Wellspring. So we see the environmental factors. These are things that can be barriers or facilitators. So family, peers, and social support. In, in Sunday school, we may have to have adapted toys. We may need to look at our sound or light quality. We may need to bring in other assistive technologies or be ready to accept any assistive technologies that come with this child or adult. And this important one, societal attitudes, our attitudes, that's so important. I discovered an excellent resource um, for churches as I was, again, thinking about this uh, talk today. And it's a website called Johnny and Friends. And Johnny is Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you would have heard of her. She had a spinal cord injury when she was a teen from a diving accident. And she's been active in advocating for people with disabilities. And she's a great artist, a great speaker, uh, a pretty amazing woman. It's just a very interesting three-minute video as a challenge to are we ready? Do we have the, are we knocking down those barriers and are we providing the facilitators? The facilitators in terms of physical barriers being eliminated, but also those attitudinal barriers. So I do hope that all of us will consider what we've heard today and what Jesus illustrated to us in terms of breaking down barriers and those attitudinal facilitators that we actually are looking to invite anyone with disabilities. And again, sometimes we don't know if people have disabilities, but we want to ensure that all are welcome in our fellowship. So I just want to pray together with you as we close. God, we thank you for sending your son Jesus to our world to demonstrate your love and forgiveness, but also to show us how to live. And we pray that we at Wellspring will be sensitive to your leading, uh, particularly as we consider ministry to those with diverse abilities. And we want to provide a place of worship, teaching, community, but also of service for everyone that desires it. And I do pray that you would forgive us for any physical or attitudinal barriers that we might have put up. And I ask you to help us get rid of those. And I pray that you would help us to have many facilitators so that if there are those out there that don't feel they have a place to worship because of their diverse abilities, that they would come to know about Wellspring and would feel welcome here. We just thank you that you have made us all equal and that you value the soul above the body and we just pray that we would have that same attitude. In Jesus' name, amen.